My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. If you were to run into one of my students at the college, they will tell you that my favorite test answer is D, all the above. In fact, I once made an entire test, three pages, 25 questions, and they were all D. And the kids are taking the test and they're looking at you like, and then I would nod and go. (laughs) I also did one where I did it alphabetically backwards so that they went backwards. You got to be creative, make sure the kids are paying attention. But D, all of the above, is my favorite answer. And I think that applies to this passage because, and I'll tell you, I've done this. I have sometimes preached on the prodigal son and on that character. And the prodigal son, if we're going to simmer it down, he's lost and he needs to be found. I've preached on the father, right? The father is waiting and watching and loving and ready to run out and grab us. And some of us need to hear that that's how God's love is for each and every one of us. Some of us need to return to God. Some of us need to know that God is watching for us. I've also preached on the older brother who was uh, jaded and judgmental and how uh, in his righteous anger, much like Jonah outside of Nineveh, towards his sinful brother, he refused to come in to the party. But what about us? And what about those first century hearers? Where do you, where do we fit in to this story. Now, if you were paying attention at the very beginning, the scribes and the Pharisees were going to hear Jesus. He had wonderful things to say. People believed that at the very least he was the prophet. They weren't quite ready to acknowledge that he could be the Messiah, but when God says a prophet, you should go and hear what they have to say. And the scribes and the Pharisees were disturbed at the other people that were coming to see Jesus. And that he had the gall to not go out to lunch with them after church, but he went out with those other people after church. Reminds me of a true story, because I'm the pastor in this story. I once was asked to preach at a church where the pastor preached a minimum of 40 minutes every Sunday. The people in the church demanded that the service be an hour so that the music director had combined literally the rest of the service into 20 minutes so they got done at noon. Nobody told the guest preacher that this was the plan. So the guest preacher got up, and you know me, 18 to 22 minutes. 22 minutes, we were done. It was only 20 minutes to 12. Now, the majority of the church were thrilled Woohoo! We got out of church. It's like being released from school early, right? They were like, thanks, pastor, and out the door they went. And this one angry, angry little lady came up, looked me right in the eye and said, they haven't switched over to lunch yet at Denny's. I'm like, well, God bless you too. <laughs> so I offered to go back in and preach the sermon for her a second time so she could get the message. But that's... That's that feeling. You know, 
we sometimes look down our noses at the other people who need to hear the gospel. Bill Hybels offers a uh, mathematical equation. This is in the book, Lead Like Jesus. He says when he shares the gospel with somebody who's unfamiliar, he says, well, do you think you'll go to heaven? And the person usually says, well, yeah, I live a pretty good life. I'm good to go to heaven. He says, well, let me explain it to you this way. He said, let's say you need 100 points to get into heaven. He said, Mother Teresa gets 95. Could we all agree? <laughs> right? He says, Hitler gets zero. He said, and your average person winds up between 60 and 85. But you can only get in if you've got 100. And then he shares with them what Jesus did for them and how Jesus fills in the rest of the points. Mother Teresa gets her five. Doc Madison gets his 60. You can do the math yourself. But that's where we're headed in this story. Everybody in the story does not have enough points to get to heaven. Jesus came to save the lost. He also came to save the left out. That's the older brother. He came to save those who also are saved and should be looking for the lost. And he came to demonstrate God's love of reconciliation and rejoicing that we could do together. Jesus fills in the gaps. But only if we let him. Now, if, if you got out the book of Luke and you looked at the chapter we read today, you'll notice that we read verses 1 through 3 and then we skipped to 11. There's actually two more parables in this set. Now, we don't know for a fact that Jesus taught these parables in a row. This is the way that Luke grouped them. The one is for the lost coin. Remember, the woman has 10 coins. She loses one and she sweeps and searches and she finds the lost coin and there's rejoicing. And the other one is what we call old school, the 90 and 9. The shepherd has 100 sheep. He loses one, he goes and searches, he carries the sheep back, and there is much rejoicing. Most scholars believe that these two parables are to teach us that God rejoices when the lost are found. But that's not where we're headed today. Where we're headed today is that third parable requires a certain amount of volition on the part of the lost. Well, there was volition that took the prodigal away from his father. And there was volition that said, I need to go back to my father. God's love is available to everybody, but we believe that we have to reach out and grab his hand. Precious Lord, take my hand. We, we've all sung that many times. So the first thing we need to get from this story, and we're going to take the options from D, all of the above, one at a time, is the lost. To Jesus and to us, it shouldn't matter how you get lost. I want you to hear that. It doesn't matter how you got lost. Only that you could be found and saved. That's the message he was aiming directly at the scribes and the Pharisees. Stop determining whether the people's sin is valuable enough for you to invite them into the kingdom. 
or terrible enough that you don't want them in the kingdom. It doesn't matter how you got lost. The good news is that you can be found. Jesus did not love, approve, accept, ignore, deny, or condone any sin. I want you to hear that. I'm going to say it again like I tell my students. Slower and in English. Jesus did not love, approve, accept, ignore, deny, or condone any sin. But then what does the Bible tell us? That we need to hate the sin, love the sinner. Jesus came and died for every one of us. Norman Vincent Peale tells the story that he was preaching at a Methodist conference in Atlanta, Georgia, along with uh, Bishop Noah Moore and Pierce Harris, and that they believed and prayed that Jesus would come into a life and change it, no matter how desperate that life seemed. After the service, they were, I like to say this sometimes, they were disrobing, and uh, the usher came and said there was a man who wanted to see them. The usher said it was a a disreputable-looking man, that he was unshaven, unwashed, and poorly dressed. And when the man did come in, he was reeking of alcohol, and his mind was filled with the message of salvation. And he asked the pastors in the room, do you believe that Jesus can save me? Without a doubt, Norman Vincent Peale replied. And then he asked if he could pray with the man. And the four pastors prayed with the man, and the man left the room. One of the pastors said, if that man changes, we'll all be a little bit surprised, won't we? Why? Because pastors know, and and you know, that that volition can only get you so far. You You can reach out for God, but if you don't grasp his hand, the deal is not complete. Six months later, Peel was sitting in the lobby of a hotel in Clearwater, Florida, when he saw a man coming toward him, leading two little girls by the hand, and he was immaculately dressed. And his daughters, Vincent Peel said, were exquisite children, attractive and well-behaved. And at first, he didn't recognize the man. But as they came closer, he recognized the former derelict from Atlanta. And he was humming Amazing Grace. There was a smile on his face, and he held out his hand in greeting. And Norman Vincent Peale said it was one of the most emotional and unforgettable encounters of his life. Some people, some churches, wouldn't have let that man through the door. That was the message for the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, uh, Gert Behanna, who came to Christ late in life after she devoted herself to riches, booze, and drugs, is the way she described it, said, I've recently discovered a new sin. I found myself looking down on people who look down on other people. We are called to find the lost. The next group of people in our D, all of the above, are those who are left out. We're going to jump to the end of the story. And whenever I read this story, I'm also reminded of the uh, older brother, right? The older brother who said, hold it, I've been doing the right things for my whole life. Why why isn't there a party for me? 
Well, this was also resonating with the scribes and Pharisees. And it, for me, it reminds me of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard, remember, went and said to the first group, come and work for me and I'll give you a day's wage. And then he went every couple hours until the last folks had only worked an hour. And he said to the overseer, what? Pay them first. <coughs> and the people who had worked all day were upset with the people who got the same amount of wage for that one hour's work. They were like the older brother. <laughs> they weren't going to take their reward because all of a sudden their reward wasn't fair. Well, we've got to go back to Bill Hybels. And remember that nobody has 100 points. The reward is God's to give out. Totally at his discretion. He gives the reward to whomever he wants. Which is why, much like last week with the fig tree, this week with the older brother, we don't know the end of the story. In psychology, we use the term self-esteem. How do you measure yourself against those around you? You walk into a room and we all know who the tallest is or the, the thinnest or the wealthiest or the smartest or the funniest or the, the best looking or the most stylish. We have this internal thermometer that measures us against all the people around us. That's human nature. But God says, stop measuring yourself against all the sin around you because you'll be falling into the trap of saying, well, I don't have as much sin as that person. I must be a better person than that person. Nobody gets 100 points. The hearers and us have a tendency for what I call spiritual self-esteem. We ask ourselves, who is the biggest and baddest sinner so that I can look down on them and feel better about me? The story is told about a, a Sunday school teacher who one day asked the kids, if you were all painted red, if you were good children, and you all painted green, if you were naughty children, what color would you be? One precocious child raised his hand. She said, yes. He said, I would be striped. <laughs> well, that's sort of the truest answer, isn't there? We are not usually all totally naughty and all totally good. We are all striped. Which brings us right back to our Bill Hybels quote. Nobody gets 100 points. Rarely are you completely lost. And rarely are we completely found. There's always a part of us that needs to be dragged and cajoled into the light. And there's always a part of us that's already there. For some, it's more. For some, it's less. But we all need the light. Well, that brings us to the father in the story. Now, most folks would tell you that the father in the story is God, who sent Jesus to win us back to him, to, to bring in those who feel left out and to bring in those who are lost. But I'd like to challenge you to expand your view and say that those of us who are saved also need to join the looking club. We need to actively look for people who need to meet Jesus. Now, if you've been listening, that means everybody in your life actively needs to know Jesus. And then we have to ask the rhetorical question, does everybody in your life know Jesus? 
Last week, we talked about the real tragedy of being a tree in God's garden and not producing fruit. I want to tell you the story of the Norristown Schwankfelder Church. Now, you know, I work with the Schwankfelders from Schwanksville a lot, but this is a different church. They hired a pastor in the middle 90s. He was actually a UCC, United Church of Christ pastor, a friend of mine. And as with many inner city churches, they had been built during the time when the city was flourishing and growing and it was a beautiful building. And then the city started to go downhill. If you've ever visited Norristown, it became a little bit like Camden. And all of those people who built the church moved out of Norristown. But every Sunday morning, they came back. Why? Because that's our church. Our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents built that church. And they, they hired this person to come in to be their pastor because their church was shrinking. He said, we're having a barbecue. Now, you know I love a good barbecue. He said, we're having a barbecue. They said, what? He said, yep, we're going to bring you away free dogs and free burgers and balloon animals and face painting. We're having a party in the church parking lot, and we're inviting the entire community to the barbecue. And the elders were like, Pastor, we're not sure we want those kind of people in our church. And he looked the elders in the eye and he said, we have this barbecue or I'm not your pastor. You've got one week, and he left. And they thought about it, and they prayed about it. And when he came back the next week, they said, Pastor, when do you want to have the barbecue? And that church changed its ministry to that community. In fact, it's now called the UCC, that's his denomination, Schwankfelder Church of Norristown. They combined the theology, they combined the ministry, and that church is still alive. Because they said, we don't care how you got lost. We only care that you can be found. It could be a food bank. It could be a closed closet. It could be King's Fest. But we've got to do something outside of this room. We've got to do something outside of this room so that people know that if you want to be found, if you are lost, if you think there is no place for you in this world or in this kingdom of God, you can find the answers here. Seeing someone is lost or left out and not reaching out is like having an antidote to a deadly disease and not sharing it with the sick. Why? Because the Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We have the cure. And we don't have anybody coming in to get the cure. And it's not just us, it's churches around the world. It's like it's a secret. And we're not willing to share it with the people that need to hear the good news. Now, my fourth one is, is loving. So we had the lost, we had the left out, we had the looking, and now we have the loving. And when I was a, a dad with kids at home and throwing them in the Mazda minivan, I used to say this all the time. And dads, I just want a knowing nod. You don't need to say anything, but you'll understand. I said, why do I eat at restaurants I don't choose and eat food I don't want? 
and willingly pay the bill when we're done. Okay, so the moms are laughing, but you, you get the idea. Why? Because I love my family. There's only so many grown-up choices you can get at friendlies. And they're all grease upon grease upon grease. Can we go to friendlies and get that silly little clown Sunday where they put the cone on the top like a hat and M&Ms for the eyes and, and whipped cream hair? Oh, my kids love that thing. I can't tell you how many times I eat at friendlies. Friendlies, sorry, friendlies, is not my first choice. Even though you have heard me say that ice cream is the answer to all of life's questions. You can't just have ice cream for dinner all the time. Love, hear this, is giving up what you want for what the loved want. Love is going where you don't want to go because the loved are there. Love is spending resources, time, energy, and money on things you wouldn't choose so you can be with those that you love. There's a wonderful story about Maya Angelou. She was an active member of the Glide Memorial United Methodist Church in San Francisco before her death. She wrote that when she first came to San Francisco as a young woman, she became quite sophisticated. She said that that was what you were supposed to do when you moved to San Francisco, you became sophisticated. And for that reason, she said she became agnostic. And she thought the two went together, sophisticated and agnostic. And she said that it wasn't that she stopped believing in God, but just that God no longer frequented the neighborhoods that she frequented. The same time she was taking voice lessons, and her teacher gave in an exercise where she was to read out of a religious pamphlet. And the reading ended with these words, God loves me. She finished reading and she put the pamphlet down and the teacher said, I want you to read that last sentence again. So Maya picked it up and she read it again, this time somewhat sarcastically. And then she put it down and the teacher said, read it again. And she read it again. And then she described what happened after the seventh repetition. She said, I began to sense that there might be some truth in this statement, that there was a possibility that God loved me. Loved me, Maya Angelou. And I suddenly began to cry at the greatness of it all. And I knew if God loved me, I could do wonderful things. I could do great things. I could learn anything. I could achieve anything. For what could stand against me with God? Since one person, any person, with God form a majority. Yep, I'm going with D. All of the above. There's something for every one of us if we listen to this parable. There's hope, there's help, there's healing, there's mercy, there's ministry. And as always... Our first pew is going to be open for any one of those categories. It's like this. A woman was at church one day, and she was one of those people who always lose their reading glasses. We have several of them in the congregation today. They're doing this and patting around. Where are my glasses? Well, your pastor never loses his because if he took them off, he would be lost. Lady came up and she said, Pastor, where's the lost and found? I lost my reading glasses and I can't see. 
the pastor thought, and he said, you know, we, we don't really have a lost and found, but you could check with the church secretary. If somebody found them, I'm sure they, they gave them to her. And as she walked away, it occurred to him that the whole church is lost and found. The business is the church, of the church is to find the lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, the left out, the looking, and the loved. If you're lost during the last hymn, come forward, and our deacons would love to pray with you and share the good news of what Jesus has done for you. If you're feeling left out, left out of the body, left out of the kingdom, come forward, and our deacons would love to pray with you. If you're not exactly sure what your looking ministry would be, Come forward and let's counsel and pray about that together. Or if you're in that loving category, come and get ready to let go of some of those resources you've been hoarding, that knowledge, that time, that energy, that money, and see what God wants to do with you. Because you can do anything because God loves you. Amen.